This is The Guardian. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly, the big challenge today. Can four of us sit on a Zoom call and make an hour of thrilling conversation about England nil, Italy nil? I believe the football keeps happening. Gareth Southgate's men have channeled the ennui of the country in this Nations League campaign. Is anyone on that plane after the last three games? And is the criticism for Southgate fair because we don't play the most interesting football? Or should we take a second and remember he's their second most successful manager of all time? Also, the Republic of Ireland managed to score three goals in one football match, something that normally takes them a calendar year. Have they used them all up? Is this the Stephen Kenny revolution and how sad should Scotland be about it all? We'll pay tribute to Billy Bingham. We'll ask if Aaron Ramsey meant that. It wasn't the worst kept secret because it wasn't even a secret, but Pochettino is leaving PSG. What next for them and him? Your questions. And that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, John Bruin, hello. Hello, Max, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. Barry Glendenning, welcome. Hi. Hello, Barney Ronnie. Hello, everybody. Uh, Tony says, is it still this season or are we into next mm. <laughs> Are we into next season yet? And Michael says, is Barney the panellist in most need of a summer break? You don't have one yet, do you, Barney? You're, go- you're going to the... I didn't even realise England were playing another game on Tuesday. I was just like, can't, it can't keep happening. Yeah, it keeps it keeps happening. It's amazing. I mean, yeah, I'm going to to Wolverhampton again, which is always actually a, a real pleasure. Um, I always like going there. It's a really nice place, and the people are really nice. But it makes me think. I feel very sorry for Gareth Southgate um, because this is his this is his season. This is his great time. You know, this it makes me feel like um, you know when you've you've been on a night out somewhere, and there's a few of you. Maybe you've stuff has happened. You've been somewhere. You've had a meal. It's a bit late town's a bit empty and there's people are saying things like I've got this thing tomorrow like we can still get a cab and there's one guy saying no no I know this place around the corner we can still we can still get a drink we can still and everyone's looking at each other saying okay he's really keen all right and you sort of go there and you queue and you get turned down and everyone's like right we can still and no 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 this is other place and you're gonna go on there (laughs) we we can definitely and you do get a drink and you sort of half drink it and this one guy is still convinced that he's gonna He's going to pull, or, or it's going to be fun. Are you going to go? It's a bit like that, and and that's not a role I think Gareth should naturally, naturally be in. And I feel we've kind of forced him into it. <laughs> isn't isn't actually Southgate? He's the guy that turns up at like quarter past ten. Like like you've all had <laughs> the day, and he's just turning. I'm I'm here, everybody. Go. I kind of missed everything. Chris says Southgate out. John, what do you what do you say to that? Um. Uh, well, it, actually, to get us talking for an hour, we could say Southgate out, couldn't we? And then that 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 could keep us going. Um, no, no, no. Why would you? Why, why, why would you? Why would you sack Gary Southgate? Well, he hasn't done anything wrong. 
This this Nations League thing, I was trying to think of a comparison, and the one that I came up with was, do you remember, I think it's sometimes about 1997, 1998, where Brookside EastEnders and Coronation Street all decided to have an episode on every night of the week. And so <laughs> from sort of 7.30 till 9, you could watch a soap treadmill. And, and in fact, one of my friends had like a mime for the soap treadmill that he was like, right, I'm on the soap treadmill tonight. <laughs> and, and, and it's like that. It's like the Nations League. It's like, oh, what's on? It's the Nations League treadmill. And it's, it's just rolling on and on and on. And you, the idea that you could sack Gary Southgate for something to do with the Nations League is absolutely <laughs> ridiculous because, it, as, as, I mean, there are those people out there actually that get quite angry when you point out that, you know, maybe this is not that exciting or it's got nothing. The Nations League as a concept has failed a bit and it's, yeah, it's been the victim of the pandemic and uh, also, you know, what's going on in Ukraine and it's, 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 it's been shoved into this box and bolted on to the end of the season when no one wants it to be played and it's lost its credibility. But within that, it's like this thing that we all thought was a solution to international friendlies being rubbish, it's not really worked, has it? Barry? Well, I'd certainly agree that Garisoke shouldn't be sacked on the basis of anything to do with the the Nation's League. <laughs> it's always, he should get a medal for just turning up. <laughs> he's he's had to go to every game, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he, can't, yeah. he can't say, do you know what? I'm not doing Tuesday. I've done three of them, guys. Yeah. I want a break. He's done all four episodes of Brookside, yeah. yeah that's... But the, th- the thing is that the Nation's League isn't important to nations like England because England qualify for tournaments very easily by the traditional means of coming top of the group usually by about 19 points because they've won every game home and away uh but the nations league has been a quite a success i think even if the the current the current one is a bit of a grind because it it matters to countries like say ireland or scotland or wales who tend not generally to qualify at the top of their group by 16 points in when attempting to qualify for tournaments in the traditional way and therefore welcome this opportunity to get in the back door. Uh, so I, I totally get why England and England fans don't like the Nations League and think it's been a failure because they don't really need it. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think it's harsh to suggest it has been a failure it's just because these games shouldn't be happening now players are tired fans are sick of football at the moment and need a break and yeah we could all do with two or three weeks of just no football sounds like a good time to do a live tour doesn't it yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'd like to hugely i'd like to like barry's post i'd like to agree with that I, it's England who are demeaning the Nations League the Nations League is actually quite good um, and it's actually really if you watch Nations League sort of groups you know the lower groups it's at, it's brilliant um, I, I watched loads of it during the sort of pandemic time and there was this constant theme of nations who really really wanted to beat each other angry tattooed men furiously celebrating goals um nations that you kind of forgot oh yeah they hate them playing each other and and it was i i the nations league was fascinating i predicted land war in europe based on the nations league because if you watch that there were so many 
tribal, neighborly, furious grudges being played out by these tattooed, absolutely gripped men furiously celebrating to empty stands. And at that point, the Nations League was, was the best thing on television. It's just that for England, um, in our kind of post-imperial zone, where we imagine it's the end of history and we're not really involved in all this stuff, it seems like a really boring competition. But uh, the Nations League has been a wonderful thing if you like uh, furious, grudge-laden, tribal derby matches, and I'll stick up for them. The atmosphere at Molyneux was 3,000 school children. Um, there was one tweet that felt like an episode of Get Your Own Back. Yeah, it was like, it was like we are the champions, wasn't it? <laughs> and, and they booed at halftime. I wonder, did we, did we, John, learn anything? Have we learned anything about any England players or any tactical things or anything in these in these three games? There was this, there was that brief sort of Jack Grealish looking. Hey, isn't it good when Jack gets some freedom to play? Thing, but I'm not really sure that 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 played out against Italy. Tamori played against Italy. I'm not sure that he looked that secure. He was okay. I, I'm struggling. I must say, I watched these games and they just passed me by. Sorry, it was. It was just, you know, the Wednesday East Enders or something like that. It just, I mean, listen, I, I, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not at the front. I'm not the guy having to go up to these games like Barney and, and, and several other of my, my colleagues. Um, I, I really respect your ability to turn around copy on this stuff. It, it's it's just not happened. And yeah, um, listen, uh, my imperialist uh, Anglo-centric got the better of me. You know, the, the Nations League does matter. But I don't think this matters for for England, and <clears throat> but this is a problem, isn't it? That, that Gareth Southgate has to use this as some sort of uh, dry run for the World Cup. But I'm not sure what he can have learned from his players. I, I mean, I think he did learn a couple of things against in that game. I have to say, the best thing about the the first game at Wolves was um, beforehand, um, after all the players had gone off and were preparing to come out, um, Chris Powell. One of the balls that they'd been warming up with had got kicked into the um, into where all the kids were, and they'd started playing with it. And Chris Power went over and sort of said, "Oh, stop chucking the ball around here! Give us it back!" And he got hold of it, and there was this incredible ten minutes of pantomime where the kids were all booing Chris Power, which was a slightly anxious moment. And then you realise why they were booing him, um, and. He he just he worked the crowd. It was incredible. He got the ball. He walked off with it. They all booed. He turned around. They cheered. He laughed. <laughs> they, this this happened for about ten minutes. Chris Cowell was in hysterics. There were a thousand children. And he's obviously just the nicest man ever. And I want to be his grandkid. Um, and in the end, the ref had to come over and say, "Look, Chris, we sort of probably got to get on with things here." Could you? But that those kids, those kids having been subsequently forced to sit through a game that will have cured them of the desire to ever waste their parents' money on football again, had the best 10 minutes with Chris Powell, who who really should be in panto, and is just a really nice man. Um, I thought that um, there was two interesting things. Um, it was good that Grealish started and the kind of absolutely absurd sort of bandwagon that Southgate is somehow strangling this generational talent by not starting in every game just was put into context that he's quite a good player uh, like lots of the other players and won't let anyone down but there's not some sort of um, Glenn Hoddle here who's being denied his head and all that kind of stuff I mean that that thing is is absurd Um, and you know the thing about Southgate getting rid of the the England mentality the entitlement 
Uh, we're all going to be humble. We're going to realize you've got a long way to go. What's actually happened is things have switched. We used to have managers and administrators who thought that England was the greatest nation in the world and we've got nothing to lose from the Brazilians. We just need to hoof it into the box and we'll overwhelm everyone. The, the FA and, and the coaches in Southgate no longer think that. They're very humble. But those qualities have been sublimated into the fans. It didn't just go away. So we're constantly hearing we have this incredible well of talent. Why aren't we just blowing everyone to pieces? Why aren't we playing like no other international team has played for the last 40 years and just attacking and no, no one will be able to withstand us? Whereas, you know, if you look at the players, there isn't a central midfielder, an English central midfielder at any top club. We just don't have those players. The, the so-called you know, massive well of attacking talent just doesn't really exist. There's some good technical players coming through, but who are these brilliant players? Phil Foden's a good player. He starts for his team. Um, who else does, you know, up there? Um, it's just not true. They're quite good and they've kind of overachieved by being organised and, and that's good. But, you know, the idea that we suddenly have to blow everyone away is ludicrous. I, I don't necessarily disagree with Barley when he says that England have overachieved. But I also think they have also underachieved insofar as they lost the World Cup semi-final, I think they should have won, and they lost a European Championship final from being ahead, and I think they should have also won that game. So while I don't... I, I find the clamour in some quarters for Southgate's head amusing. I think he's done a very good job. I also think he could have done a better job. That's true. Like He's not the perfect manager, obviously, yeah, and he probably wouldn't be a successful club manager at a top club for those reasons. But the idea that it was his fault England lost to Croatia, I've always found really baffling. Like they lost, I was at that game and they lost because in the second half, these games, this is what happens in these late tournament games. The team with the best midfield wins. Basically it goes right down. There's really tight. You don't win these games in the first 20 minutes. In the end, the best midfield will come out on top. You will be overrun because those players will, will take over. And that's what happened there. Now, what, England, the midfield England put out to try and counteract the influence of Luka Modric and the rest of those Croatian midfielders who are just better players was Jordan Henderson was on his own in the first half and then they brought on Eric Dyer to try and staunch that influence, which obviously isn't going to happen in midfield. Now, what was Southgate supposed to do there? How is it the manager's fault that England culturally doesn't produce cultural, it doesn't produce central midfielders of the quality of Modric? Uh, of the quality of the players Italy had in that uh, uh, Euro semi-final. Uh, even the Locatelli the other night, who's just a better central midfield. Frankie de Jong, in the, the same thing happened in the Nations League when Holland just overwhelmed them. In those fine detail games, think about the 2010 World Cup final, where basically Spain, just eventually the midfield will overwhelm you. In the end, quality tells in those really fine games. And England just don't have those central midfielders at their disposal to, to really take control of those games. And it was not wrong that Croatia won that game, just it wasn't wrong that Italy won those games because they kept the ball better, they had more possession, and in the end they were able to win those details. Now, maybe Southgate could, he was involved in junior teams, but really it's something coming through the system. Go down the top six Premier League teams and there isn't a single English central midfielder apart from Henderson. So who's he supposed to pick? N'Golo Kante. Uh, Pierre-Emile Hoiberg. Um, they just don't have those players. So he managed to disguise that weakness 
by playing uh, extra centre back, keep the ball in deeper positions, sort of cold possession. But when you come up against Modric, it doesn't work. And I find it a bit hard to blame him for that. Barney, you speak so eloquently as always and uh, so responsibly. But I think what we all need actually is the press to lead a get Southgate campaign to inject some interest into that. It was so, you know, even in the era I used to cover England, um, Roy Hodgson, I did a couple of Roy Hodgson tournaments. He did three, I think, 2012, 2014, 2016. And just to see when a result goes against them, the way that uh, the, um, the gentlemen of the press, their eyes light up at the idea of like getting out this manager and the thing is, Gareth Southgate doesn't really offer th- those opportunities up, does he? Because he is actually doing what, what Barney's saying. And the reasons for England doing well, but not quite reaching the top of most of the popper most is because he hasn't got the players and he's doing a good job. It's It's like this idea of like, it's success, but it's just that little bit underwhelming. It's really, so you made that interesting point about those, that, that the press pack. I remember doing, I was doing the late show on TalkSport, I think, and England were playing Germany and we're 2-0 up and letting two goals, if that is a game that anyone can remember, or something like that. And I was a bit, I was like annoyed about it and, and the producer was absolutely over the moon because he was like, oh, the calls we're going to get. This is amazing. <laughs> like, it's not really, you know, <laughs> like we should just, it'd be good if we won and we could just react to that. Anyway, still a 0% win rate uh, for Channel 4, um, uh, which is a, <laughs> <laughs> I said ITV very excited about that has anyone seen I, I haven't read it because I just saw The Telegraph tweeted out an article basically being critical of Michael Owen I haven't as a pundit and and I don't know if there is the what is the point in that or you know we are critical of players they're just doing their job should we be allowed to be critical of pundits and then I'm sure we're critical of pundits so I was just trying to work out because then there was a sort of reaction to this, just this headline, which saying, you know, the, what no one wants to hear. And now the views of Michael Owen. And then people say in be, the be kind generation, you shouldn't say that. I don't know. I've been critical of BT coverage quite a lot um, because I don't think it's particularly good. Uh, I've been, I've praised some of the pundits and criticised others. So, I, th- I think they're fair game. I, I I did see the tweet. I haven't read the article. Um, it seemed a bit of a kind of weird attack, and may I don't know if it's related to the fact that Owen is in the news because his daughter is on Love Island, um, or if this guy just feels particularly strongly about Michael Owen's punditry. I I have no clue what motivated it, but. Yeah, I suppose they're fair game. It is a bit mean, and I I have been mean in the past about government. People have criticised me, and I'm I'm fair game. So you know, I'm, I'm Michael is a big boy. I'm sure he can take it, but, but yeah, probably has hurt his feelings. I think Michael Owen's um, quite good in in the way that he. Um... He's not that, and he's not kind of entertaining in that way. But he does. He's like he was as a footballer. There's a lot of embroidery. But when he says something, it's often a vicious jab in the ribs. Like he does tell the truth about things, and often people don't really like that. Also, I was talking about this with. Um, I was talking about this with Archie the other day. Archie, you know, who's a friend of the pod, a regular contributor uh, in Munich. I bumped into him there, and he was wearing his jacket at that point. Um, and Archie, I said, uh, yeah, Michael Owen's on these. And I, Archie said that Michael Owen is the most professional pundit 
that he works with, that he talks in the week, he comes up with ideas, he does his research, he suggests stuff. And compared to, you know, I know that's not the truth with all of those sort of ex-pros. He thinks Michael Owens approaches it really well, like a proper journalist, and actually wants to kind of um, talk about issues and all that kind of stuff. And he spoke really highly of him as a colleague and said that it's always a bit of a relief when you're working with Michael Owens because you know it's going to be, he'll have something to say. So that was quite interesting, I thought. And I suppose he can just ignore the haters and just log on and stare at the millions of NFTs that he has, uh, you know, that, that he's selling to the rest of us, his magic beans. Well, you can't lose money on them, apparently. Well, that is true, isn't it? Um, all right, well, that'll do for part one. Part two will begin with the Republic of Ireland's extraordinary victory over Scotland. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Oliver said, I had a dream last night that I lost a final when a player jumped out of a big tree and landed on my teammate who was wearing 300 caps on his head and calmly slid down his hat slide to slot in the winner. I'm not sure if my mind can cope with the live show in Leeds tomorrow, which is now today. So yeah, it's very few people. I think there's a very, we're limited availability, but still some tickets. So the chance of you listening to this and being in Leeds and then having time to get to the venue is probably slim by the time it comes out. But if you're one of those people that decides on a whim to come, it'll be lovely to see you. Uh, John Bruin, Barry and Jonathan Wilson uh, will be uh, on a train in a couple of hours going up to Leeds and we look forward to it. Um, I think I think limited availability is one way of describing uh, Birmingham. Um, me, John Bruin, Jordan Jarrett, Brian and Barry uh, so yes, tickets available is, for that. Is unlimited availability another way of describing? <laughs> I think it's like saying, um, you know, if you could please keep your seat for the start of the pod because we've done it on weight allocation, but then you're free, you're free to roam around and lie across five seats if you like. Um, Johnny Lou and Philippe Claire in Manchester on Sunday. Uh, then we sold out in Dublin. Wilson and Mark Langdon, fourth and fifth of July. Troy Townsend, Jonathan Wilson, Nicky Bandini on the 8th of July at Hackney Empire. Barney is joining us with Sid Lowe and Ellis James on the 9th of July and Philippe O'Claire and Jonathan Wilson on the 13th of July in Glasgow. There will be merch available uh, on tour and online. A scarf, a t-shirt and mugs. Uh, go to myticket.co.uk to get your tickets. Um, Barry, Ireland scored three goals in one football match. Actually, they scored three goals in sort of 31 minutes. This is extraordinary. Yeah, um, I must confess, I didn't see this game live, but I was keeping an eye on the score and 
when the third goal went in, I was quite angry because you know it was just gratuitous waste of goals. We we don't need that one. We should keep it for a future date. Um, it's it's the first night Nations League win for Ireland in thirteen attempts. I think uh, their first competitive win in Dublin for three years, and uh, a much needed performance for Stephen Kenny, who was. Under a little bit of pressure, I think, quite a few Irish football fans didn't want him to get the job in the first place because his pedigree is limited to the League of Ireland clubs like Shamrock Rovers, Dundalk, Longford Town. It's not not exactly a stellar CV. Um, And he obviously got off to a a really bad start, took him ages to get his first win. And he, he got a pass for that mainly because it, was during the pandemic and there was all sorts of COVID related problems and they were playing behind closed doors. And then it began to look like they were turning things around and they went unbeaten for what was it, eight games or something. And then they lost their first two Nations League games against Armenia and Ukraine. And I I was one of, I was in favor of Kenny getting the job and I was in favor of being patient and giving him time but even my patience was starting to wear thin and this was a good result a much needed result but I'm not going to read a huge amount into it because Scotland were diabolically bad just they had a collective shocker and um thoroughly deserved to lose probably should have lost by more um so, not a, a, a much needed Philip for Ireland, but yeah, I'm, I'm not going to lose the plot over it. It was Scotland was dreadful. <laughs> I I um I did the the minute by minute for uh, Guardian website on this. Watch this again. The the, mo- the wonders of modern technology. Watched it. Uh, uh, half on RTE, half on Premier. I won't say how I did that, but some of you can guess. Uh, and it was um. It did you know when Barney talked about the wonder of the Nations League? This was a game that actually probably showed you why it does matter because um, the feel good factor that clearly the Ireland fans and the Ireland pundits and the Ireland team and I, and Stephen Kenny in particular, the boss man Steo, as we should refer to him, got from that game. Uh, it was it was almost transcendental. It was it, it was amazing. They really really enjoyed that game and there was a lot to enjoy in that game because uh you had uh, when, when I mean he's had a bad couple of years but when that there is no better player in the game at climbing into the air than Shane Duffy my god if he played rugby he'd be the greatest lock forward that had ever played the game you know for the, his, his sort of hang time is is incredible but then you've also got these young players I mean both of them scored Michael Oberfemi who scored a great goal uh and Troy Parrott, uh, you know, he's a Spurs youngster. Um, he also, has, he scored a fine header, which is often Oberfemi assist. And suddenly Ireland have these two young attackers. And in the midfield, they had Jason Malumbi, who was at Brighton, played just one game. And then Jason Knight, who seems to have made a bit of a difference to Ireland in recent weeks. Um, now he's the guy, and I was reminded of this, he's the guy that when Wayne Rooney became manager of Derby, he was the guy that Rooney injured in training from going too far and just clattered him. And actually, he is probably Derby's best player. Uh, and he is a really good player. And actually, Ireland do appear to have a good 
group of young players have also got a Callaghan goal and they've got a, a raft of young goalkeepers. It suddenly looked like the boss man, Steo, was in charge of something that it could genuinely be exciting. And that hasn't been the case. I watched a bit of the previous games, the Armenia game, they were terrible. Um, but yeah, but, but the point that Barry makes against Scotland, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. Can you forgive Scotland, John, for, you know, the Ukraine game must have really hit them, right? Yeah, but the thing is, they've beaten Armenia, hadn't they, in midweek, and that gave them th- this idea that, that they were maybe on the way back. But yeah, I do think there was a... There's a, uh, this idea that they've run their race and this is the end of the season and they really want to lick their wounds and, you know, go again for the next campaign. Um, but, you know, you had Andy Robertson after the game issuing this apology to everybody, including Steve Clark. Just saying, yeah, we were terrible at every possible, which I think was a pretty harsh on Ireland, actually, because Ireland played well. And I don't know how it must feel when, if you play the best game Ireland have played in, I think it's the first time they've beaten a team uh, above them in the rankings for five years. And that's like the best result they've had in five years. For the opposition to turn around and go, oh, no, we were absolutely rubbish. This is the worst we've ever played. Does that does that lessen the way that Ireland feel or... Well, I suppose there's that there's that constant conversation, isn't it, that we can never really nail down as to you know do you do you play badly because you're just being bad or are they making you be bad? You know, like the the, the two teams are playing at the same time. It's sort of quite hard to analyse. If uh, well, I I'd say I think Scotland because we've heard a lot in recent days about players being tired and the, this round of international games just it's like flogging these already knackered. Uh, donkeys and I think if you look at the Scotland team I think on paper the Scotland squad is vastly superior to the Ireland squad the Ireland we've got a lot decent young players coming through but Scotland have more experienced better players and most of those players have played far more games this season than most of the Irish players who Many of them are fringe players. They're not playing week in, week out. They're not playing two, three times a week. So I, I think Scotland's players are entitled to a pass for this one. But as the old adage goes, you can only beat in front what's in front of you. And if what's in front of you is a team full of knackers, uh, fed up players who've just blown a chance to get to the World Cup, then that, so be it. Well, just on the players being tired thing, um, if it if it weren't for the fact that um, strange things happened in Zurich um, in 2010, uh, the World Cup would have started this weekend. It would it would have started on Friday night. They normally have a kind of opener, don't they? And then Saturday's the first proper day. So we'd all be playing at a World Cup and it'd be expected to be fresh and ready. I guess they would have tailored the season probably to finish a bit earlier or, or maybe they wouldn't have done. But uh, we would have been, by the way, it was 42 degrees in Doha on Saturday. So we probably sort of, yeah, an, an odd an odd one there, probably dodged a bullet. Being in the, the bowels of the brand new stadium there, listening to Connor Cody talk about taking the positives from a 1-1 draw. You know, we got, in 42 degree heat, it's probably, probably better to be at Wolves watching Chris Powell do pantomime. It's probably on balance. Preferable. Speaking of um, footballers doing panto, I must have told this story before. But um, one Soccer AM, we booked um, Sean Gota for the show. 
and then uh, uh, the, you know the guy Chris who was booking the footballers sort of texted his agent saying look what's Chris up to and this is on the Friday night and, you know we'd cut all the Sean Gota footage and everything and and uh, the reply from Sean Gota's agent was he's just doing a bit of writing he's not going to do Panto this year and that's when Chris realised that he'd not booked Sean Gota but he'd booked Sean Williamson Barry from EastEnders. <laughs> And as you can imagine, Sean Williamson was absolutely brilliant and he just answered all the Sean Gota questions um, and did it very professionally. But it was a great moment. Um, and, you know, Sean Gota, I think, perfectly capable of doing Panzo, perhaps <laughs> with Chris Powell and Sean Williamson. Um, does, ha- hang on, Al- sorry, Matt, yes. Matt you, had, you had Barry from EastEnders on the show because it was yeah. a misbooking with Chris... Yeah. <laughs> And Sean, we just thought it was Friday night. We couldn't be bothered to change the questions. So look, could you just do the Sean Gota interview? And he went, yep. And he did it brilliantly. <laughs> he did all his research. He talked about, you know, great goals he'd scored for Man City. He talked about playing for Bermuda, all of that. Yeah, absolutely so f- consummate f- professional. F- feed feed Barry from EastEnders and, and he <laughs> exactly, will score. Exactly right. Um, did Aaron Ramsey mean that, um, Barry? I think so. Uh, I heard a BBC reporter describe it as a fluke. I thought, oh, that's harsh. That's harsh. Um, I, I, I'm i going to give him the benefit of the doubt, but I'm a big Aaron Ramsey fan and I like, I'm like. i a big Wales team fan. I'm in, in much the same way as Ellis used to be jealous when he was a kid of Ireland qualifying for tournaments. I'm currently very jealous of Wales fans and all the fun they seem to be having. Mm. Um, Ellis will probably Ellis probably refused to come on the pod. I've even suggested uh, that that Aaron Ramsey didn't mean. That. I don't know. I just sort of thought that kind of turn is that turn is a what is that a double drag back? What is it? I'm not sure. Is it the kind of you stand on the ball, you twizzle around. You normally are doing that to yourself, aren't you? But maybe I mean, obviously Aaron Ramsey is. Uh, it's a talented footballer. So maybe we give him the benefit of the doubt, John. No, I, I, I saw Ellis tweet this and um, I, I've got to be honest, I thought that it was like some retro clip of Aaron Ramsey because he's had such a torrid time recently that I thought, oh no, well, you know, Aaron Ramsey was really good once, wasn't he? He looked at that and it turned out it was actually in the present day. Um, what a talented player Aaron Ramsey is. Let's hope that he... Uh, gets back to his best soon because it's not been that great to watch him struggle, has it? It's been quite painful, in fact. Um, yeah, uh, look, Northern Ireland drew with Cyprus, got two late goals uh, to make it a 2-2 draw. We should really pay tribute to uh, Billy Bingham, who's died at the age of 90. Um, and uh, reading um, uh, Brian Glanville's uh, article on Sunday uh, in The Observer, saying that he did more for Northern Ireland in World Cup football than any other figure, Barry. Yeah, well, he he played for them in the World Cup in 1958 in Sweden when they got to the quarterfinals. And then he managed Northern Ireland during their most successful period uh, when they got to the second round of group games in Spain. Uh, that was, you know, the different format. Then you, you played a group round of group games. Then you went into another group and sort of, I think it was then semifinals and the final, but... So they they famously beat Spain in Spain. I remember as a kid in this was in 1982. The the Glendennings were on their first ever foreign family holiday, and we were in. Well, I would have been nine years old in 1982, 
and we were in a Spanish restaurant watching Northern Ireland beat Spain and the locals were going absolutely berserk. <laughs> and we had to wait a very long time for our meal. I was presume I was probably having chicken and chips because that's how imaginative I was in those days. I had to wait a long time for my chicken and chips because the waiters were just down tools and were watching the telly, watching the game, making no apologies for it. And... Um, then he managed them in Mexico 1986 as well, uh, when England and Northern Ireland both qualified, but they, they didn't do so well then. And his Northern Ireland team, he'd, he'd have had Martin O'Neill, Sammy McElroy, Jerry Armstrong, Pat Jennings, Norman Whiteside, you know, some terrific players. And as a, a player, he had a pretty successful career as well. He played um, for Glen Torn in Northern Ireland, then signed for Sunderland in the top flight who had just finished, I think, third. So this this would have been in the early 50s. Signed for Sunderland for £10,000 back in the days when £10,000 transfer fee was big. <laughs> um, and he, he stayed at Sunderland for eight years, then went to Luton, Everton, Port Vale. And, uh, yeah, uh, then went into management. But he, he did an awful lot for Northern Irish football and it... I think there was quite an air of... I, I'll be honest, I'd kind of forgotten all about him because I hadn't heard mention of his name in years. And then I, I heard the news that he died and was like, oh, yeah, he, he will be missed in Northern Ireland. I was going to say, I mean, the first World Cup I, I watched in full would be 86. And that Northern Ireland were at that World Cup felt like it was a normal thing because obviously they'd been so good in 1982 the idea of Northern Ireland at a World Cup these days is a fairly uh, outlandish thing. I know they got to the Euros um, back in 2016, but uh, he, what 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 Billy Bingham did with that team? I mean, you had Pat Jennings. I remember that you know the normal white said he was 17. You had Pat Jennings who would be you know 37, 38, and this great span of Ireland players. Um, I think in that Brian Glanville article, he says that you know George Best's had retired, so the best player that they could have had wasn't gone. And he just p- produced this group of players like Jerry Armstrong, who was a reserve at Watford, Billy Hamilton, who was, you know, not a top division player. And he made them into a into a team that could compete, beat Spain, as, as Barry said. You know, it was a disastrous defeat for Spain in that World Cup, who were the hosts. What a fantastic job he did. But he also uh, he won a championship medal as an Everton player and also managed... Uh, Everton nearly won the title when he was manager as well. So, you know, a very distinguished career, but, you know, and he he, he retired in 1993, but, you know, as he died at 90, it's been a long time since we've heard from Billy Bingham, but there's an ultimate football man. And in terms of Northern Irish, there's no one better really, is there? Because uh, he's almost like their their Jack Charlton, uh, that figure uh, that that took them so far. Um, Sad news, but yeah, a life well lived in football, you have to say. Uh, just to add, I, I also watched those Northern Ireland teams in 82 and 86, and they, uh, what struck me at the time and kind of the way they were presented uh, by kind of uh, the broadcasters was that they were kind of this motley bunch of lads, and it looked like really good fun. They looked like a team really enjoying being in each other's company. They looked like a club team. They really did look, you know, they you watch their reaction to scoring, the way they were with each other, it just looked really fun. But I, I also heard Jerry Armstrong talking on the radio about Billy Bingham. He said that was all true, um, but Bingham was actually 
very progressive in what he did. He said the thing that really struck them all was that he would prepare these very detailed dossiers on the opposition and was a kind of pioneer in that way of really studying an opponent's weaknesses, which is not something that, odd as it might sound to younger listeners, was necessarily a big part of um, the way football was coached in those days and that he was very much a details man. And and that was that was something that the players really took on and a big part of their success. So that was kind of interesting to hear as well. Um, and obviously, it wasn't it wasn't an accident that they succeeded. And Barry, from from chicken and chips age nine to the debonair sophisticat that you are today, uh, what a what a journey that has been. Oh yes, I'd be definitely on the paella now, <laughs> which is not something the nine year old uh, Baz would have fancied at all at all. Uh, our thoughts, of course, with the, the family and friends of Billy Bingham, who passed away age 90. Uh, that'll do for part two. Back in a sec. Uh, welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, we're recording a special episode of Football Weekly featuring experiences from our LGBTQ plus listeners. Uh, if you are one of those, um, we've had loads um, uh, which we really appreciate. But we just want your experience of football, going to games, watching in pubs, travelling to and from games, playing football. Um, you know, And obviously your experiences probably have changed over time. They can be positive, negative, whatever, uh, however you see it. We'd love to hear from you. Um, we're going to do that in a couple of weeks' time. There'll be a link in the description of this episode. I'll tweet out the link as well uh, if you want to get in touch. Uh, so PSG are close to finalising the departure of head coach Maurizio Pochettino. Uh, they had a meeting this week. It's uh, uh, it's mutual um, rather than uh, uh, him being sacked. Uh, obviously, that defeat in the Champions League, which PSG liked to do, uh, even though they were really quite good in that game against Real Madrid for quite a lot of it, is probably the end of Poch. What what uh, what do you make of the situation, Barney? Oh, I think yeah, we've been we've been it's been an extended end game for Pochettino. Um, they, they did. I think PSG did stop and think and say, "Well, is it us? You know, could it could it possibly be us? Could it be the way this club is run? Could it be the hierarchy? Could it be the 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 recruitment? Could it be the whole sort of vibe of the thing? Could that be what's wrong here?" And I think they then decided, "No, it's <laughs> it, it's not us. It's you." Um, in an inversion of the usual uh, dynamic there, so sack another manager. But I, you know, I I hear that Zinedine Zidane is in Doha at the moment and that I don't know if a deal is done, but a deal may well be close. I think the complication is that uh, Zidane also wants to be manager of France, um, but the World Cup is not in the summer. So uh, there's a kind of, there's not the usual kind of churn of whether Deschamps would be leaving that job or not. Um, <clears throat> but he would, he seems like a good fit because it's he's saying, you don't have to change. You know, you can have all these big ego players. You can you know, sign Robbie Williams and, and it's fine. I'm good at making those players gel with each other. I make everyone feel good. Um, and I know how these, you know, I'm all about feelings and making people feel on top of the world. Um, and so I can make that work for you. And it, the season does come down to a few dates in April where you have to send good players onto a pitch, remembering that they're good players and, and feeling good about themselves. So maybe he would be their ideal manager um, as for Pochettino, it's hard to know where it, where it leaves him because you know he um, he's a project manager. You know he's a systems manager. He wants a a team that's operating slightly below its level that he can then improve players who should be better than they are. 
um, who he can improve. And obviously the fit with PSG was always utterly bizarre. It was just never a good thing. He's going to tell you to press. Okay, <laughs> good luck with that. Um, so where he goes next will be very interesting, but he now needs to re rebuild his career essentially with now obviously a very wealthy man and financially set for life. But um, it will be very interesting to see what he does. So he missed the Manchester United opportunity, but something tells me that opportunity is never quite close for that long and it may still be there. Are we sure Zidane isn't in Doha because no one told him the World Cup was moving to <laughs> to Christmas? I interestingly you say, you know, what, what will Pochettino do next? If you look at the, you know, leaving PSG seems like quite a good thing in the, you know, short or long term. Ancelotti, Emery, Tuchel have all gone on to, to great success, which, you know, as you kind of alluded to, Barney, might make PSG sort of think, uh, you know, a tiny bit about what they're doing. But uh, I don't know what you think, John. Um uh, well, a friend of mine, well, it was Ken Early, in fact, said said the other day that PSG's sort of recruitment of managers and players is almost like one of those Nike adverts from the 1990s. And he said that he could imagine them all juggling a ball at an airport or something like that. You know, you know, like yeah. um, you know, Zidane juggling over to Neymar, over to Mbappe, and you know, Messi's still there. Um, yeah, it, it, as Barney says quite correctly, that was not the club for Poch. Poch is the guy to make Eric Dyer believe in himself, not Neymar. It's it, it's a totally, it's not. It wasn't suited to his his skill set. Uh, he from from what you know from what's out there from what from people have told me in fact is that he didn't like it from the start. It wasn't suited. He he's not the type of manager who. Essentially, a club like PSG, you've got several courts. You've got the court of King Neymar, the court of Mbappe, and you've got to be—you've got to be a servant. You've got to be a emissary to the court to get these courts together in some sort of. You have to be Henry VIII. Is that no, what you mean? well, you've got right. to be. Yeah, you've got to be like you know, it's like the War of the Austrian Succession or something to get them right. to to turn out and win a game against Marseille. Basically, they need. Tyrion Lannister in <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well exactly, yeah, yeah. But I did see actually that, that there was some uh you know, some paparazzi photos of I think it was Potch on the golf course and someone pointed out that he was actually wearing old Spurs merchandise. So, you know, all that money and he's just thought, yeah, I'll take this stuff, these freebies that he got from the club shop four or five years ago. Good on him, I say. Good on him. Obviously Eddie Howe has done a very good job at Newcastle. But at some point, they they will struggle under Eddie Howe. And it will be interesting if Pochettino is available to see how patient the Newcastle hierarchy will be with Eddie Howe if things start to go pear-shaped. I'm not saying they will, but at some point, things are going to, you know, they'll hit a, a hole in the road, pothole in the road. I was going to say, Barry, is is it going to go that way? It's like I've taken the Qatar money. I'm okay with taking the Saudi Arabian money. Is is there a is there a cut is there a cut off point here? This is what I'm wondering. This is what I'm wondering. Maybe. Well, you say he was playing golf. Maybe he sign up for the Live Tour. And- <laughs> <laughs> Do- yeah. probably, he, to be honest, he probably came third, and we don't know. <laughs> yeah, he, he he only got five hundred thousand for that. So. Uh- <laughs> Anyway, uh, Disco Pingo writes, how bad must the situation be before Mike Ashley is considered a saviour? Yeah, so uh, the EFL released a statement saying they'd informed the administrators at Derby County uh, that following the failure of Mr. Chris Kirshner to conclude a sale of the club, it's changing the terms of the suspended notice of withdrawal issued when the club 
entered administration into September 2021. Um, it is a very long statement. Uh, I think our understanding, Barney, is it's, this is really bad for Derby County. They've only got five contracted players, but by all accounts, they've got a lot of players who are there who want to sign and are ready to sign. Uh, the manager, of course, is still there. They just need somebody to to buy them. And there are, there are sort of lots of question marks about these administrators. And I must admit, as soon as I hear the word administrator, um, I'm quite guilty of my mind, my brain just sort of zoning down because it gets complicated. Yeah, it's it's really complicated. And in, in some ways, you have some sympathy for the administrators because trying to sell a football club um, is obviously a, a complete nightmare. Uh, and also, I mean, most businesses that go bust, um, just go bust. That's it. You're done. Um, you just have uh, creditors and that's it. But football clubs are unique in that they go bust, but they're still alive. You know, they still have a hundred thousand consumers, you know, fans, people who are not going to let this thing die and who are desperate for you. So suddenly a job which basically involves dealing with people who haven't had their invoices paid most of the time, you're suddenly required to keep that you've become Dr. Frankenstein, shooting bolts of electricity through this thing, keeping it alive. Um, I mean, when you find yourself in the hands of somebody called Quantuma, you know things things are bad. I mean, it really does sound like a kind of David Brent version of the office client. And I, I was looking at them. I mean, I don't think that they have acted noticeably quickly on this. I, there's kind of this weird faceless thing, you know. Um, I was looking at their, they they have a Twitter. Unfortunately for them, they have a Twitter presence. I was looking at their Twitter page um, this morning. Um, they're described as a leading advisory firm working with businesses at key milestones to overcome operational challenges. And you kind of think, yeah, oh yeah, you know, no shit, Sherlock. Um, they haven't tweeted since January, January the 21st. Um, when they, their, their interaction with the world of football is very funny. Um, their last, they tweeted, at, we're, we're thrilled to announce that Angela Barkhouse, managing director of our Cayman team, has been recognized in the who's who legal thought leaders, global elite 2002. And there's this hashtag cross-border asset recovery. I just think it's two worlds that probably shouldn't be meeting. Like Quantuma, this kind of vague, you know, we come in when your business is dead and football where things now, you know, you just can't, you can't sit on this thing. I see now, there's a story from the Leicester Mercury, um, Tom Pegnan, their business editor, said that Quantuma are now suing the media and various fan forums for allegedly inaccurate comments on them sleeping on this thing and not not working on it. So it's a, it's a double, I mean, it started off as a nightmare. It's now becoming a nightmare within a nightmare. And uh, my thoughts go out to everyone, but really only Derby County's fans who are completely innocent in this and have done nothing but support their team. Uh, yeah. What was that hashtag again? Uh, hashtag cross-border cross asset recovery. Yeah. <laughs> that is, I mean, if that doesn't trend worldwide, what's wrong with the world? God, nothing like... <laughs> That's marvellous. Um, anyway, look, we'll do more on that uh, as and when because uh, it's uh, an important story. And once again, you know, football fans caught in the middle of something that's nothing to do with them. Shane says, has Barney gone mad with power after Gary Lineker described his piece as excellent? I believe this was your sports watching golf piece, Barney. Is that, uh, you know, is that was that like kind of time to retire? Now you have the uh, uh, affirmation of Gary Lineker. Well, you know, Gary is quite active on Twitter. I mean, he describes quite a few things as excellent. There is a kind of, um, you know, liberal left-leaning 
journalism kind of cachet to having a Gary Lineker approval. Um, so, um, yeah, you know, I'll take it. I, I wrote a golf sports watching article and Gary Lineker didn't comment on it whatsoever. So, um, yeah, he told me he really hated it. He oh, okay. <laughs> Actually, yeah. just tweeted, this is shit. Yeah. <laughs> You'll never work in football again. That's what he said. He's going to take Barney in to live in his house. <laughs> <laughs> I do I do enjoy when... Um, yeah, I have I've a lot of time for Gary and he uh, obviously speak. He's quite forthright in his opinions on the pretty Patel immigrants going being sent to Rwanda issue and I do love looking at the replies whenever he, he makes comments. Oh, it's just some of the people in this country are despicable but anyway yeah. and when it's a, if you do tweet about that it's a good way to block a lot of people I've found uh, James there's not a question I enjoyed chatting to Barry in the pub last night he even got behind the bar and poured me a half decent Guinness thanks Baz Oh, um, yeah, I, there, was, there was a street party in Brixton uh, on, when was a Saturday night? Very good, actually. And, and the cynical old me thought it would be rubbish, but it was really good. And uh, But my, my local pub got, uh, when it started to get too cold for people to stand out or sit out in the street drinking, they adjourned to the pub and the the landlady got a little overwhelmed so uh me and a friend of mine went in to give her a hand so i you know i don't don't just randomly jump jump over the counter and pull pints for people i was doing a favor for someone you're a modern <laughs> just, day hero just to Barry. be clear yeah, okay uh, and it was yeah it was a pub that you knew about it was a pub you'd yeah. been in before wasn't it? yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, i'm i'm barry glendenning this is what i can do in pubs you walk straight in <laughs> jump over the bar pour anyone a drink and walk out again uh graham says shouldn't you have a break um uh, you'll be pleased to know that we are uh we're scaling back the number of pods we do in the next few weeks we're doing not doing one until next monday but we're sort of pottering around for them and then we'll be back uh properly uh with the women's euros and then the season and then the football which goes on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever well that doesn't really leave any scaling back max that's almost well, when does the scaling back happen <laughs> I, know. I was watching i was watching um soccer aid last night we're we not doing a pod on that where's the where's the soccer wenger was wenger was managing one of the teams with idris elba I um I played against I played with Idris Elba once at a charity match, um, and Harry Redknapp was the manager, and Harry Redknapp came up to me and said, uh, and I was think I was standing next to Dan Walker, and he went, "Who's this Idris Elba? Who is this Idris Elba?" And I went, "Oh, and have you seen Luther? It's quite good." He went, "Luther, what's Luther?" I said, "Have you seen the Wire? What's the what's the Wire?" So we told him what Wire and Luther were, and then like five seconds later, he you just just saw Harry Redknapp going. Idris loved you in Lufa, loved you in the wire. That's what he does. He builds people up He's, as well, a magician. Ha- Harry Redknapp, interestingly, was managing one of the soccer aid teams last night. And there was an amusing moment where his goalkeeper was injured. His goalkeeper was a celebrity of some kind. And Harry Redknapp was absolutely steaming furious, like ranting, waving his arms around because there is a rule that your celebrity, your goalkeeper has to be a celebrity. And he didn't have a... He didn't have a, a, a reserve celebrity goalkeeper. And, and the commentators were talking about needing to bring on one of his outfield celebrities to fill the hole. And he was he, he was steaming. He had David James there ready to come on, but it wasn't allowed. Uh, apparently, your goalkeeper has to be a celebrity. And Harry, Harry, it was really, he was very, very angry. Well, he could, he could have done a Stuart Pearce and thrown David James up front and put 
one of his celebrity strikers in goals. Well, at one point, Mo Farah was warming up to go in goal. Um, Mo Farah? Was, yeah, Mo Farah. Yeah. <laughs> Mo Farah has an incredible uh, engine. I, I was, I was oh, really? To he Mo surprised Farah. me. Yeah. Did not stop running. He was, he was actually, Mo Farah was very good, although he runs in a very middle distance kind of way. There was something very weird about watching him closing down a fullback like he was doing the. I suppose when, 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 yeah, when Mo Farah is running through, does he, he doesn't like just try and sprint past the player. He spends a lot of time just behind him. Yeah, just, <laughs> just on, yeah, on the shoulder. On the shoulder. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, I mean, that just shows you what a sort of, what worrying, it does tell you sort of worrying about sort of coaching of celebrities in this country that we didn't have a, Sub goalkeeper celebrity to come on for England, something that where's Gareth Southgate? I mean, what's Southgate yeah, doing? What's he, know, get, yeah. get him out, get him out. <laughs> anyway, they also that, had Damien Lewis up front, that was quite funny. Okay, who won? Uh, I have absolutely no it was, idea. No, it, was, it was Lee Mack scored the winning penalty. I saw, did he? Oh, well done, Lee Mack. God, he did that and the Jubilee. It's been a great week for Mack, hasn't yeah. it? Uh, the rest of the world won. For the fourth time, uh, according to producer Simon. Why, why is Lee Mack playing for the rest of the world team? I don't know. I, I don't know either, but there you go. You know. I did once try and get in Soccer Aid. I was playing golf with the chief exec on some charity golf day. I, I said to him, I said, look, I've got my great grandmother is from somewhere. I think it's Russia. Can I please play for the rest of the world? And he just said, I've just got off the phone from Hernan Crespo. That's the end of, <laughs> the, end of that conference. <laughs> the end of that conversation it was a disappointment. Could have done a job. Um, anyway, thanks, John. Uh, thanks, Max. See you in Leeds tonight. Yes. Um, I'll see you on the train to Leeds in yeah. a couple of hours. Same yeah. to you, Barry. Cheers, Max. Thanks. Uh, thank you, Barney. Cheers, everyone. Uh, we'll be back next Monday. Football Weekly was produced by Silas Gray with Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Max Sands. This is The Guardian.